So if you will, take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2. The song, I'll be true. When you think about just those first three words, how powerful they are. And if you look in your notes there, the very first paragraph, in my freshman year, we did it for several years, but beginning in my freshman year when things were a little hard and I'm telling you, trying to work a full-time job and go to school, and wife and two kids, and it seemed like everything falls apart. At the end of the services on Sunday night, the kids would get together, the students, and we'd go down to Coconut Grove Park. Sit down there, had a little shed down there and picnic tables, looking out over the bay, and we would uh, play guitars and sing and give testimonies. And there's several songs that they would sing that really kind of uplifting because it was more like not just the words in a song, but they said something. Just like whenever you got married and two people are joined together in holy deadlock, wedlock. You know that whenever they look at each other and I love you, do you love me, and all that, you know. What you want to know is, uh, will you be true? And you say those words, I'll be true, I'll be true. Do you promise that blah, 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 I do, I do, I do. And uh, sometimes it don't always work out. Sometimes people are not always as true as they ought to be. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, do you realize if you was to say these words to the Lord, Lord, I'll be true. What are you actually saying? Are you going to be found faithful? Lord, I'll be true. It means if I'm going to be true, it means I've got to love my wife right. If I'm going to be true, I've got to do right by my kids. If I'm going to be true. It means I've got to be found faithful in reading my Bible and studying and witnessing everything that I'm supposed to do. Lord, I, I, want, to be, I want to be found being true to my commitment to you. So look there at this uh, little statement where I have, I'll be true is such a bold statement, a total commitment, an awesome agenda for young students who had no clue what the future held, but had a reckless abandonment of faith to the one who held the future. We knew that it would be worth it all. You ever heard that song? It will be worth it all. It's another good song we'd always sing. But without the Lord, we could do nothing. You ever heard that song? Without him, without him, I could do nothing. It's a good song. And before the day's over, we just love to sing that too. Who knows? I don't know. But I want you to look here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. Look in verse 9. And it says in verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So we believe that Jesus Christ was made lower than the angels because angels don't die, but he was made lower than the angels for the purpose that he might die for everybody. And then he says, For it became him for whom are all things. 
and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call us his brethren. But you see, the word cause in that verse, well, it's because we have been made pure and holy. We are to be justified with God. Now, here's God. He's perfect. And here we are. We're not. We have come short of the glory of God, short of God's perfection. But the Bible says that because of what Christ did for us, we have to be made pure and holy, as righteous as God. So God can justify us as though we've never sinned. So to be justified means that God will find no fault in us. And there's no guilt. And if there's no guilt, there is no shame. And this is why salvation is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm so glad God invented it. Wouldn't it be terrible to go to hell for all eternity? But God made a way for sinful people to be holy before God. So that God is not ashamed to call me I'm his child. Now, there's things that God says that we do in our life after we trust the Lord, and you'll find the word ashamed mentioned many, many times. Many, many times. And so, um, I want you to take your Bible now and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 1. The book of Romans in chapter 1. And you'll notice there in uh, verse 14. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. The apostle Paul considered himself separated unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he had separated himself from every other purpose there is to live in life for this one main goal. And so he was separated unto the gospel. You see that in verse 1 where he says, separated unto the gospel of God. So he had one main goal for living. And I can say that pretty much over my few years that I've lived, my one main goal is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want people to go to heaven. Because I'm going and I don't want to go alone. I want to get as many people to go to heaven as I possibly can. But he says in verse 14, Paul says, I am debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. The Greeks, the barbarians, the Jews, he's ready to go. Because you see, he had a way to pay his debt. God had given him something by which he can pay a debt. He owes the gospel and by giving the gospel, you're paying your debt. I paid my debt to this one. I paid my debt to this one. I paid my debt to this one. And a lot of us might find ourselves when we get before the Lord realizing that we never paid the debt. We never paid the debt that we owed. We owe the lost, the gospel, the truth of how to have the free gift of everlasting life. And that's why he says in verse 16, look in verse 16. For I am, see those words, not ashamed I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel works. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it will do what it claims to do. 
It has the power to save anybody. So I don't have to worry about, can I witness to somebody that God can't save? God can save anybody, whosoever believeth. It's the most powerful message in all the world. And many people are not enjoying watching the power of the gospel work. It's such a wonderful thing. I was talking to a guy just a couple days ago. And um, he, uh, his dad was a president of some company. And he talked to me and he was, was kind of going back and forth talking about a few things. And, and I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I says, where are you going when you die? Now, you may not have thought I would ever ask a question like that. But I have been known to do it before. And uh, he says, well, I, I'm pretty religious. And uh, he says, I used to uh, be, you know, in the Pentecostal religion. I said, okay, well. I says, um, but you're not sure. No. I says, can I show you something? So I explained the gospel to him so he could have the free gift of everlasting life. He says, I've never understood that. And he was a grown man. Been raised in religion all his life, but he never understood the gospel. Isn't it wonderful when you talk to somebody and they ask them, where are you going to die? I don't know. And then you explain it to them, now they know. I said, how do you know you're going to heaven? Now he says, Christ died for my sins. Because most people don't really understand how simple the gospel is. And yet it's the most powerful thing in all the world. I want you to look there in your notes. We're going to go by the notes pretty much right now because I got a lot of verses here and I don't think we'll have time to turn to all of them. But you have a copy of them and What's written down here is also written right in your Bible. And when you get home, you can check it and verify that it's there. I have a question there in bold. What a shame it would be if we were not true to Christ. Now, you see, the only thing to go to heaven is to trust him. And he will be true to you. He made a promise that he would save whosoever believeth. So if, if I believe, then he saved me, gave me eternal life because he promised you can take him at his word, money in the bank, and God does not lie. He cannot lie. Can I go back upon his word? He said, he'll never cast me out and never lose me. I know I have eternal life. The next statement, the Lord warns us many times in many ways about being ashamed. Now look there at the statement. It means to be embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. There's times in all of our life we've said or done things that we're, we're ashamed of. You say, me, I've never been ashamed of anything. Well, to be ashamed means because you've been guilty. And you're guilty because you were wrong. And you've never been wrong? You've never done anything wrong? Everybody knows that everybody sins. But you just can't remember anything. Ain't that right? I just can't remember ever doing anything wrong. Some of us are just so holy, aren't we? You know what pride is? Oh, Look at the next statement. Shame may cause one to be sorry, contrite, remorseful, or humiliated. Because we don't like to be humiliated. We don't like to be ashamed of something that we come short of. And that's why the next statement. Because feeling inferior, inadequate, or embarrassed may cause or produce shame. I could ask some of you to come up here and preach for me because I don't feel too good. And I'm going to sit down and I want you to finish preaching for me. And you say, well, I'm inadequate. I'm ashamed to come up there because I don't know the Bible. I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to say. So because of a feeling of inferior, you're, like you're not qualified. So therefore, you might be ashamed. You could 
be asked to do something. And because you can't do it well, you may be ashamed of your product. Somebody asks you, to, would you paint my picture? Really? I'll say, hey, that doesn't do me justice. Well, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> Look at the next thing. Shame is almost exclusively moral, meaning knowing right and wrong in significance through consciousness of guilt or of its exposure. You see, if you don't know right from wrong, there's a lot of things that will not bother you and there's no guilt. And if there's no guilt, there's no shame. Uh, you could go over to certain countries where they run around naked. And they got places where they run around naked and they don't have any guilt. And they're not ashamed because they don't know if it's right or wrong because that's the way they've been. That's the way they're raised. Now you might say, oh. <laughs> and so there's things that you might be ashamed of. You can be ashamed of your children. Have your kids ever done anything you're ashamed of? Don't, don't answer it. I don't want you to do it. But sometimes you might be ashamed of your parents. Things that they say or do, they're guilty of and you're ashamed of it. It happens all the time because we are sinful people. Sinful people do sinful things. And because of that, it produces guilt. I did something wrong. And because of the guilt, we have the shame. Now, the key is to remove the guilt. Look at the next statement. Adam and Eve were both naked and not ashamed. That's in Genesis chapter 2. They were created innocent and therefore without guilt, therefore no shame. Naked, not ashamed. They hadn't done anything wrong. They hadn't sinned against God. They were totally innocent. When little children are born, they're innocent. They can't think between right and wrong. Until you teach them, and you spend the first three years teaching them how to walk and talk, and then the rest of their life sit down and shut up. So you're always, you know, trying to reverse. I got a sermon I'm going to preach coming up called Repeal and Replace. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> not today, though. Look at the next statement. Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. We are in Christ, therefore there is no guilt in our position, so there's no shame. So he's not ashamed of us. And a lot of times when you see the scriptures talking about, he that believeth in me shall not be ashamed. The reason you won't be ashamed, because one day, see, we're going to see God. Face to face, I'm going to see God. And because of all those sins, God has forgiven, and if God has forgiven, he's removed the guilt, and because there's no guilt, there'll be no shame. I don't have to be ashamed because of what Christ did on the cross for me. He paid my sin debt so I could stand there unashamed. Now, look at the next statement I have. The capacity for shame may be lost through the long-continued deadening power of immorality, as found in 1 Timothy 4.2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When there's no conscience of wrong, there's no guilt. No guilt, there would be no shame. The other day I made a mistake. I was watching Fox News, and on came this guy, Waters, Watersworth, and he was having on there about the spring break, and the next thing to know, I thought it was pornography on TV, showing all the girls, they didn't have 
They didn't have enough material to make leggings for a hummingbird. You could say it was what they called the uh, atomic dress, 50% fallout. And I'm talking about, there was like no shame. Guys drinking stuff and trying to see how much they can hold on. No shame. I've never had a drink of strong drink in my life. I don't need that. There's no shame with people. Or with a lot of people today, even a lot of women are having children and no husband. At one time, remember, it used to be a shame to get pregnant and not be married. Y'all, anybody remember those days? Is that true today? Very little. Or people shacking up with each other. Well, because, you know, everybody does it. So, well, since everybody does it, then what you're doing isn't wrong. And if it's not wrong, you're not guilty. And if you're not guilty, there's no shame. Until you start looking in the Bible and you look at things from the eyes of the Lord and you realize, boy, have I been wrong. And all of a sudden, a weight of guilt can come upon a person and how I have been so wrong. And there's ways of taking care of all the, the guilt. And I'm so thankful for what we call the gospel of grace, where God forgives you. And you can accept the forgiveness of the Lord and what you've done as though it never happened in God's eyes. Wow. And God can forgive and remove. And when you accept God's forgiveness, see, a lot of people accept God's forgiveness, but then they don't forgive themselves. You have to forgive yourself because that's what God did. And then that removes the guilt and removes the shame. And you can lift your head high and you can walk because... I am a forgiven man. I was guilty, and I've been forgiven. God has been good to me. Now, look at the next statement. In the next statement I have right there in the bold, the grace of Christ delivers us from the shame of guilt. Forgiveness is to remove the guilt. The removal of guilt is to remove the shame. Are y'all following what I'm saying this morning? Are you there? This way it goes. That means yes. This means no. Are you following what I'm saying? Am I getting through? You say, well, I don't need this right now. Okay, you probably need it tomorrow. <laughs> now, you'll notice the very next words about Romans 1.16, but we already looked at that. But I want you to look at the next one, Romans 5 and verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hope, a joyful anticipation of what God has for us. And that blessed hope that we are looking for the Lord to come back at any time. Did you know that is a purifying hope in your life? That you keep your eyes focused upon the Lord. And the day will come. Now down here, sometimes maybe you feel like I've, I've sacrificed too much. There's so many other things I could have done. But knowing the scriptures, it has restrained me kept me from doing things that maybe I would have done. I told Betty the other day, I said, honey, I wonder what I would have done with my life if your dad had never led me to Christ. She said, but he did. I thought, what would I have done with my life if her dad had never witnessed to me and won me to Christ? How lost I would be. How terrible would be my life. To realize how bad things could be 
And then you realize, look how gracious God has been to you. God is a good God. Look at Romans 9.33 where he says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Means he will not have any more guilt. He won't be guilty. Therefore, there won't be any shame. It's the only way it will work. Because if you do not accept the payment Christ made on the cross for you, you'll be eternally separated from the Lord in a literal fire burning hell. And for all eternity, because of the guilt, you'll be so ashamed that you did not accept the payment Christ. But if you trust the Lord, you won't be ashamed. You're going to be in heaven, a new body, pleasures forevermore, and you'll be so glad you trust the Lord. And not only that, as a child of God, should you or I be ashamed of what Christ did for us? Are you ashamed to witness for the Lord? Ashamed to tell people the good news of how to have eternal life? Are you ashamed? What is somebody, are you ashamed to talk to somebody about football? You're ashamed to talk to somebody about what was on the news? But are you ashamed to talk about how much you love the Lord? Think about it. Now, the next verse down at the bottom of the page. Romans 10, verse 11. For Scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You're not going to be confused, confounded. You'll never regret that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, in this world, there may be times when, like Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of what it is. And I am ready to preach it because I am a debtor. And if you don't do what you should do, then there's a sense of guilt. I failed. When you think about those words, I'll be true, precious Jesus. I'll be true. Could you just say those words right now in your mind? Just say it in your own mind. Don't say it out loud. Just, I'll be true, precious Jesus. I'll be true. What do you think it means, though? Would you be afraid to say that? Because it's like, it's a commitment. You see, to go to heaven, he committed himself to do what he said he'd do, and I'm just letting him. I'm trusting him to save me because I believe he'll keep his word. But whenever I decided I want to serve the Lord, I made up my mind. And I didn't want to just play games with the Lord. I want to be true. I want to be a true witness for the Lord, a true servant of the Lord, a real genuine disciple for the Lord. Not because, well, I have to. No, I want to. And I'll be true. It means I've got to watch every area of my life, not just some, but every area. Look at the top of the page on the back side. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. What a verse. What a verse. Look at this. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that, and I just felt like I needed to make it a little bigger. Because he uses the word magnify. So I wanted to magnify that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. See, here you are. You're God's child. God wants to get glory from your life. 
But if you won't give glory through your life, he can take it through your death. Did you know you might have more people come to know Christ as your Savior, as their Savior, because you died than because you lived? Because it's your funeral, somebody like preach the gospel and might be more people trust Christ as Savior. Wouldn't it be better if you would do it while you're alive and bring people to the Lord? The other day I was talking to an individual who is a missionary. And I told him, I said, I just want to know. I met him at a restaurant, told him I'd like to buy him something to eat and talk to him, find out where he's coming from. And I asked him, I says, well, what I need to know is this. I says, are you personally, are you a soul winner? He says, a what? I said, soul winner. He says, I, I don't know what you mean. I says, somebody who talks to somebody that doesn't know where they're going to die and, and persuades them to trust the, the Lord to take them to heaven. He says, I, I'm not sure I follow you. Now, this is a missionary. This is a missionary. Now, you think I would want to try to help support him? No. If you're not a missionary here, you won't be a missionary if you went 3,000 miles away. And for somebody who doesn't even know how to win somebody to Christ. And I tried every which way I could to explain what I was talking about. He says, well, we just uh, try to, you know, uh, you know, teach. I says, biblical principles and things like that. Oh, yeah. I was, I was sick. Thinking they're representing Christ? No. But whether you live or whether you die, Paul says, I want to use my life. And as he says, your sin also Christ may be magnified. In other words, you ever seen a magnifying glass? You ever make, you make something bigger, right? Or you want to make Christ bigger. You want to make the gospel bigger and powerful. Have you ever taken a magnifying glass and let the sun come through and piece a piece of paper and get it out there just right and set it on fire? But unless certain things get just right, it won't do it. You can just lay it down there and it won't do it. But you got to get it just right. And the power of those rays come through there and pinpoint it. Man, you can start a fire with that stuff. I used to do it as a kid. I used to take and put it on somebody else's leg and just see and wait until. Wow! <laughs> you ain't never done that? You ought to do that. Be ready to run. But, I mean, have some fun. Look at the next scripture. 2 Timothy 1.8 in your notes there. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. I told people the other day, I says, one of these days, you watch. Somebody's just liable to throw the old preacher here in jail. And I thought, you know what some people are going to say? Well, I knew it was about time. <laughs> but I've always wanted a jail ministry, so maybe I'll get one. Who knows yet? But be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Are you ashamed to testify for the Lord? Ashamed to let people know who you are, what you really believe. Ashamed on the job. Ashamed with your neighbors. Ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of your own testimony. You see, my testimony is what God has done for me. And I'm testifying with my life. By the things that I say and the things I don't say. The places I go, the places I don't go. My whole life is one big testimony. And your testimony 
should be honoring to the Lord. And you should not be ashamed of that. Just because people don't appreciate, remember, we're not home yet. One day when we get to be with the Lord, it will be worth it all. Look at the next statement. I wrote in italics there a little statement. I want you to see this. Where it says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God, it is a shame for the believer to neglect and spreading the gospel in view of what the Lord has done for him. Do you know why the Lord says, Present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God? Well, the reason he said that, present your bodies, you notice he's talking to those that are believers. You don't ask a lost man to present anything. But the saved man should present his body and let the Lord be the Lord and the master of his life. But he says, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. It means in view of what God's done for you. Why should you present your body to the Lord? Why should you be true? Because of all he's done for you. You stop and think where you're going to spend eternity and how wonderful it's going to be and realize how you were saved by the skin of your teeth because you realize what some people had to go through to get the gospel to you. You stop and think when he talks about that uh, so many that will be reached, yes, but scarcely be saved, he talks about. Scarcely. It means that you realize what Paul went through and all the afflictions of the gospel to get the gospel to that person. I mean, it's a miracle he ever heard the gospel. And what missionaries go through when they have to go through all the things they have to go to get the gospel to somebody. And I told this lady the other day, remember last week, I told you about the 83-year-old lady. I says, I'm 75 years old. And I've only had one person in 75 years ever witness to me. What if that person had missed me? She said, well, I'm 70, 83. Anyway, she trusts the Lord, though. Look at the next statement. 2 Timothy 1.12 makes this statement, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. See, I committed the keeping of my soul into his hands. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed to him. I am trusting him to save me. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep. You see, I am not in charge of my salvation. That's why I cannot lose my salvation. It's not in my hands. I am in his hands and he said he'll never cast me out and never lose me. And no man can pluck you out of the Father's hands. So I'm not ashamed of the, this main truth. It's called eternal security. Eternal security is not a separate doctrine in salvation. It is salvation. You're either saved forever or not saved at all. There is no temporary salvation. There is no salvation till you sin again. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, He gives you eternal life, and He promised He'll never cast you out and never lose. And I'm persuaded of that. And I'm not ashamed to say that. 
There's some people that are ashamed to say, you know, I believe in once saved, always saved. There is no other way. You're either once saved, always saved, or you've never been saved. There is no other salvation. I'm not ashamed of that truth. That's why for 55 years or so, I've been telling people just what I believe because I'm not ashamed of it. Look at the next statement, 2 Timothy 2.15. I know you've heard this verse. It's a well-known verse. Memorized. But it says, study to show thyself. Approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then look at the little in quotes there. It is a shame not to study. It's a shame not to be approved for service. It's a shame not to rightly divide the word of God. As you stand right now. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Do you study the Word? Are you fit for service? Are you capable of serving the Lord now? And what do you do in your service? What do you consider your service to the Lord? In view of what He's done for you, how do you magnify Christ in your life? You start in your home, on your job, church. Do you magnify Christ? Because here's the truth of it. One day we're going to stand before the Lord and you don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming because in other words that shame is because you had a responsibility, you didn't do it, you're guilty and now you're ashamed. The Bible says this is going to take place and it will happen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. It is a shame not to glorify God. Your whole life should be about one main thing. I want to glorify the Lord. I want people to know who he is. And I want to let people know I am his child. I won't put that on my car, but... I do want people to know that I am a child of God. Now, why wouldn't I want to put it on my bumper? Because sometimes my wife doesn't drive very nicely. Okay, so it's not my wife. One day I was going down the highway on Hillsboro, and I came up behind this car, and they were going really slow, and I thought, if they don't have anywhere to go, they ought to get off the road. They were driving so slow. So I pulled out around them out fixing to go past. And I looked over there and there was Dr. Paulson. No, I didn't. <laughs> that was a joke. It wasn't Dr. Paulson. Might have been one of y'all. No. But, you know, wouldn't you be ashamed if I, I had did that and I wasn't by him and I was, nah, 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 nah. Ooh. Because you know you shouldn't have done that. Tells a little bit about you. Now look at the last verse I want you to see. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28. Now little children abide in him. Now he's already talking to those who know Christ as Savior. He's talking to those that are saved. And they're looked at as little children abide in him. In other words, live where you've been placed. In other words, you're a child of God. What are you saying? Live like it. Abide in him means to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him in his coming. Because, see, if you don't abide in the Lord and don't serve the Lord, 
The day will come when you'll be ashamed that you didn't do it. I don't understand how God's going to do all of this. I really don't care. But I know he says it in, his book, in the word. It's a shame not to abide in Christ. And as it says in the book of uh, John in chapter 15, in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And he says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. So that you can serve the Lord and have a, a lot of fruit. That's what God wants. Now, I want you to look at these words again on this page. I'll be true, precious Jesus, I'll be true. Now, we didn't have a clue at the time. All the things that uh, we were going to have to face. And all the afflictions of the gospel and the afflictions of the ministry and the afflictions you go through because of people. All the things. You know, finances, this, uh, breakdowns, all kinds of things. Health problems, you name it. And we have them. But you want to maintain the kind of a testimony that still glorifies the Lord in spite of everything that goes on. I'll be true, precious Jesus, I'll be true. I'll be true, precious Jesus, I'll be true. There's a race to be run, and there's a victory to be won. Every hour, by thy power, I'll be true. So you've got to learn to listen to the Lord and trust the Lord. But there's a, there's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won. Don't you want to, when life is over, you fought a good fight? And there's treasures laid up in heaven for you. And that you're not going to have to be ashamed before him when you see him. Because, you see, this is the only time we have to serve the Lord. Don't you think we ought to give it all we have while we can and not look back upon this life with regrets? So I'm going to ask that old firehouse five if he'll come up here. And while they come up here, I want you to watch me in just a minute. I want to show you something. I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Kind of like this little illustration. But I want you to watch. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We've all sinned, but God loves us, but he hates our sin. And the Bible says for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from the Lord. And because we have sinned, we're guilty. And because we're guilty, we got a debt to pay. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, I can't have this debt hanging over me. This debt's got to be paid. I can't go to heaven owing a debt. Got to be free of it. So the Bible says, you cannot save yourself. You got to pay your debt. And I can't pay the debt except by death. So there's no hope for us. We can't deliver ourselves. We're all in the same boat. And so God says, there's only one way for you and I to have a chance. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he does love us. And he loved us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. So Jesus Christ, who didn't have to die, took all the sins of the world. So this payment for sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he died on that cross and paid for our sins because he didn't want us to do it. He came back from the dead. He says, the only thing you have to do is, will you believe I did that for you? So simple. Will you believe he did this for you? If you believe he did it for you, he puts this payment to your account. And you have a payment for all of your sins. And because all your sins have been paid, I don't have to feel guilty anymore. 
There's no shame. I can go to heaven. And God's not ashamed to call me his child because I've been set apart. I've been made pure and holy. Good enough to go. I'm God's child. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm still down here. But God wants me down here in this life to live without bringing shame to his name. But I've been ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Christ. Therefore, we have to make up our mind, do I want to serve the Lord? But serving the Lord doesn't produce the new birth, doesn't give you eternal life. You see, going to heaven is the gift. It's free. After you trust Christ as Savior, yes, we should serve the Lord, tell people about it. But we don't do it to get to heaven. And I just want you to make sure you understand that. So, first of all, I want us to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to sing a song. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around, if you have never understood this before about how to go to heaven, you understand now it's a gift. It's totally free. And even in spite of everything you have ever done, every sin, all the guilt, he can take that all away. You see, he loved you so much, he paid for all of your sins. So before him, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Say, I'm a forgiven man. God forgives me. And God loves you so much. Would you trust him? Would you believe that when he, Christ died, that he died and paid for your sins? Will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. You say, preacher, that made sense to me. And right now, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Would you slip it up? Yes, God bless you, sir. You can put it down. Anyone else? Just slip it up very quickly. Put it right back down. Yes, God bless you. I see your hand. Are there others? Anyone else? Say, I want to be certain of going to heaven. God loves you. He's paid for your sins. And he'll give you eternal life. You get to go to heaven because of what Christ did. Our Father, we thank you so much for these that indicated by an uplifted hand. That by faith alone, in Christ alone... They have the free gift of everlasting life. They believe you died and paid for their sins. We ask now your blessings upon the closing of our service. And that as we sing a couple of these songs that they will mean something special. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.